It is good to be with you. On behalf of our siblings in faith, I bring you greetings from 116 other disciples' congregations in the Upper Midwest and about 200 clergy colleagues. So I'm privileged to be here on their behalf. I'm privileged to fill in for Sue so she can have a well-deserved morning off. We all need rest. But it's good to be with you. It's good to see many of you face to face for a long time. I have not been able to do that. (laughs) So this is a blessing. And for those of you joining from wherever you are, it is good to be with you in this sacred and holy space. Would you join me in prayer? Gracious God, now is the time in our worship when we open the scriptures and seek your wisdom for our lives. I ask that you open us up. Open our ears and our minds and our hearts to the lessons that you have for us this day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I know COVID protocols kind of change everything up, but I'm, I like to preach down here. So I think I'm far enough away from everybody. If anybody's uncomfortable, I will back up. But... Even uh, even in my previous congregation, when we started having online worship and we recorded it, I didn't even realize it at the time I preached from the sanctuary floor. It's just where I set up the camera. Had different backdrops with some lovely flowers behind me, but it was still down here where we would all sit together. This morning, I'd like us to think about some of the lessons of Jesus feeding the multitude. I I think most of us learned this story, I know I did, when we were kids, right? About how Jesus was teaching all day and, and fed a whole bunch of people with very little amount of food. But I don't think it's a children's story. I think it's very much a a story for people who are still growing in faith. Because what do the disciples say? I mean, they recognize the need and then they say, but Jesus, we can't meet it. There's not enough time and there's not enough money and we didn't plan well enough ahead. And all these people are hungry. We just can't do it. But you're Jesus. We know you can. We'll get to Jesus' answer here in a minute. But let's start with that instinct. The... We can't do it, instinct. I mean, I presume that in the ancient world there must have been an equivalent to something we have a lot of in the modern age, which is advertising. I mean, they didn't have TV screens or radio stations, but I'm sure there were people who were pretty good at selling the local bakeries, loaves of bread or... The fishermen's catch of the day. I don't know if advertising worked the same way then as it does now. I mean, now, advertisers strive to convince you that you do not have what you need. In fact, they're really sneaky. They try to convince us that we're not the people we can be until we buy the right thing. To make us whole. Sometimes they're not very um, skilled at it. 
Sometimes they try to come at it slant-wise, or so we don't quite know what they're at. Every once in a while, they do it very, very explicitly. My favorite example of this is an old Snickers ad. I'm not going to get into the wars of what candy bars you may or may not like, but I hope you remember this Snickers ad. The, the, the catch line was this, Snickers really satisfies. In a nutshell, that's advertising. Convince you you're hungry, and you will only be filled if you eat not some food, but the right food. M&M's doesn't really satisfy. Your baby Ruth bar does not really satisfy. Only a Snickers really satisfies. And so until you have that Snickers, you're still going to feel a little empty. I cannot imagine if advertising worked quite the same way in the ancient world, but that's what the disciples are saying, right? We're not enough. We don't have the right skill set. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough planning. We're all men and none of us brought the bags of food like the women, our mothers would have taught us to do, our grandmothers. And then Jesus says, well, go feed them. No, you're not listening, Jesus. We don't have it. We don't have the food. We don't have the money. We don't... You've been around us, Jesus. Sometimes we don't think too far ahead. Go feed them. Jesus, we don't have anything that we need. And then Jesus, in the teaching moment, asks the most important question. Well, what do you have? What do you have? Fine, you've recognized the need... You've told me all the reasons you can't meet it. What do you have? You've told me everything you don't have. Tell me what you do have. So they go around the crowd and they come up with what? The five loaves and the two fish, or depending on which gospel you're in, every once in a while there's a couple more fish or a couple more loaves of bread, but still not enough to feed thousands of people. And Jesus says, fine, have everybody sit down, we'll eat dinner. And lo and behold, there's enough food. There's a famous Midrash, you may have heard of this before. Midrash is kind of a, an interpretation of Scripture, it's usually Jewish Scripture, that becomes so famous, so well known, that it almost is Scripture itself. So a famous interpretation of this story is that Jesus had everybody sit down And not everybody had been completely honest with the disciples when they'd come around and asked if they had any food because they knew they couldn't feed 5,000 people either. And so not everybody had told the truth. And there were bags of food among that crowd. But they sat down in groups and those that didn't have took and those that had a little more than they needed to eat their fill added to the baskets And that may be why the baskets, when they all came back and everybody had eaten their meal, had more food than when they started. More than just those five loaves and two fish. Maybe. But I think the bigger lesson here is that if we trust God, if we trust not only God to provide, but that in some ways God has already provided 
through you and me, there's more than enough. Part of the reason I'm here today is because you're looking for a pastor. And I'm trying to help your search team see if we can uh, make that happen. It's a long process. It's a slow process. It's a frustrating process. Amen. Yes. <laughs> Vicki knows better than anybody. It is. And I'm not going to presume some of the conversations that have happened here at First Christian. I'm not going to presume conversations that have happened in the building, in the parking. You don't really have a good parking lot to have conversations. In a lot of churches, the real meaty conversations happen in the parking lot. Do you have meaty conversations on the sidewalks? I don't know. For whatever reason, they don't seem to happen in the sanctuary or in the fellowship hall or in a Sunday school classroom. They happen outside the building. I imagine recently they've been happening a lot on the phone. I'm not going to presume about your your conversations, but I will say I've been a disciples pastor and worked with enough disciples congregations that there's a recurring theme that comes up whenever I talk to a congregation. It's amazing. Everybody wants to tell me what kind of church they aren't. And I don't mean that they're like, well, there are some churches that are pretty hateful towards people who show up at their doors and kind of turn people away, and we're not like that. I sure hope we're not. But I'm talking about this instinct of, well, we're not like that church. Our budget's not very big. We don't have enough people on staff. Our musicians are all, I presume, volunteers. That's mostly the way it works in disciples' churches. Believe it or not, in some churches, musicians are paid I'm not suggesting, I'm just saying, you know. And here's the one I always hear. We're not very big. We can't do, and it's followed with this, we can't do everything a big church can do. I'm starting to get some experience with larger churches, because I've never been a member or a pastor of a larger church either. You know what? They say the same thing. You've got a thousand people. You're not very big. Okay. But no, they, but they, they, they tell me the same thing. They tell me the church they're not. We don't have enough people. We don't have enough. We don't have enough experience. We don't have enough this. We don't have enough that. Well, what do you have? Start with what you have. I understand you're not perfect. I understand you don't have everything you want. And it's true. You may not have everything you need to, do, to meet every need that you see among the people in the church, among the city of Newton, and beyond in Jasper County. But what do you have? I know right now, you don't have a settled pastor. Settled pastors are great. I've been one for many years. I'm not trying to put any of my colleagues out of a job. We offer many great gifts. 
But at the end of the day, most pastors are going to work about 50 hours a week. 50 hours a week aren't even going to meet all of the needs of the people in this room. Let alone the needs of people outside of this room. pastor can help you with vision, can help ask you why you're doing things, can help make sure that you're doing things for the right reasons in Jesus' name, and can serve alongside you. But what else do you have? What else do you have? COVID, believe it or not, has been a great opportunity for the church. I know it's had many hardships and many challenges, but here's the great opportunity it has provided us. It has forced each and every one of us to ask what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ when you can't come in the building on Sunday morning? What does it look like? Or as I like to say, what does it mean to be a Christian seven days a week? I don't think you worship in here seven days a week, do you? I mean, we're disciples. We're not Catholics. Catholic churches will have worship services almost every day in some parishes. That's not us. So how are we living out our faith the rest of the time? How are we offering healing and wisdom and love and compassion and generosity How are we taking our five loaves and our two fish and feeding people around us? Here's another of my favorite examples of Jesus' teaching. One that I think we, we disciples in our DNA understand, but we don't always live out. It's most famously told in the Gospel of, of Luke. Jesus gathers some disciples around him, and there are 70 of them. And he sends them out in pairs and says, Go out, and I want you to feed the hungry, and I want you to heal the sick, and I want you to raise the dead. I'm not kidding. Read it. It's there. Jesus sends out 70, two by two, gives them this extraordinary task. And it's pretty much at the beginning of the gospel. And so all I can figure is Jesus has had these people and they've been together with Jesus for like, what, six weeks? And then Jesus says, okay, go. I mean, the closest thing we have, are there any nurses, doctors here? Doctors especially, right? Closest we have to people who raise the dead in our experience are doctors. They need more than 20 years of education before we send them to raise the dead. Six weeks and Jesus said, go, do. What? Here's what Jesus knew that we sometimes forget or maybe don't want to own up to. No matter how much reading, studying, experience we gain, we're never going to be perfect. This is why pastors invite other people to preach so that we can say things that you know they can't say. I don't know that Sue can tell you, but I will tell you, no matter what you do, no matter, and, and look, I'll own it too. No matter what I do, never going to be perfect. So if we're waiting to have it all together before we do things in Jesus' name, it's never going to happen. And Jesus knew that from the beginning. 
Don't worry about what you don't have. Don't worry about who you aren't. Focus on who you are and what you have. This is another part of the Bible. Because God made you. And God didn't make you or me to be nothing. God didn't make you or me to offer nothing to people around us. Even with our brokenness. Even with our imperfections. And that's our challenge. But in the past year, it's been our great opportunity to figure out how to live that out. Look, our ancestors in faith who became the Christian church disciples of Christ over 200 years, you know how they started? They started because there were a bunch of them living on what was then the frontier, which was western Pennsylvania, western Virginia, eastern Ohio, eastern Kentucky, and there weren't enough pastors. And back in those days, you know, you couldn't have communion if there wasn't a pastor. You couldn't have a baptism if there wasn't a pastor. Couldn't get married if there wasn't a pastor. So weeks would go by between when they could worship and between when they could do these things. And some of them got together, including a couple pastors, and they said, you know, we've read the Bible. Jesus doesn't say these things can't happen unless a very particular person shows up. Know who has to be at a baptism, a wedding, the Lord's Supper? It's a good kids question, good children's sermon question. You can't have, there's only one person who has to be at communion or or it's not communion. Who is it? Jesus. That's it. As long as Jesus is there, the rest of us can come or not come. Pastors included. So why wait for the pastor to show up to pray? Why wait for the pastor to show up to preach? Why wait for the pastor to show up to baptize? Why wait for the pastor to show up to do what all disciples have done across time and place? Gather in Jesus' name at his table. They didn't focus on what they didn't have. They focused on what they did have. And they said, through faith... We know that's enough. In fact, the lesson of the feeding of the multitude is through faith, it's more than enough. Because when God is involved, it's always more than enough. Our challenge always is to keep growing into it and living it. And so if this morning you feel like some of those 70 disciples who got sent out with not enough experience and not enough education, just remember they got to come back and tell Jesus what happened and learn some more and listen some more and then go out and do it again. And I hope we will do the same. Following their example and the example of those that have taught us how to be Christians throughout our lives. Amen? Amen. I don't know how long that was, but probably more than enough for this morning.